Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Press Room, Monday the 22nd of January. Thanks for your company. Big show coming up. Ben Dorries not too far away. Ray Thomas back with us this morning. And, of course, we'll get all the Adelaide news with Ben Scadden. And a big day at Hobart yesterday. Colin McNiff will fill us in on all of the feature racing from Tasmania. I'm going to have a chat, too, with a very successful long-time owner and breeder, Ian Corazon. Not just in the thoroughbred world, but in the harness racing side of things as well. Ian comes up in well, about 15 minutes' time. Always interested in what you think? Contact me via 0499 putter, 0499 786 or you can tweet me at Radio Tab Oz. Don't forget the podcast out each week. We tweet the link out on Radio Tab Oz, or go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press room each and every Monday, brought to you with the compliments of Garrow's Horse and Hound. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Well, there's been plenty of discussion about the third race at the Sunshine Coast on Friday night. It all centred around a $9 chance called El Magic, who was beaten almost 56 lengths after fading out of contention as far as 800 metres from the finish. Let me read you the steward's report concerning this horse. El Magic took charge of its rider in the preliminary and underwent a pre-race veterinary examination on arrival at the barriers and was cleared to start. Stewart's interviewed Apprentice E. Lang, Emily Lang, regarding this incident. Apprentice Lang indicated that the mayor may have resented the tongue control bit which had been added to the gear before the event. She also stated that the difficulty she had in restraining El Magic was exacerbated by her use of the offside rein, being limited due to the noseband being fitted over this rein, restricting her ability to restrain the mare. Stewards drew these concerns to the attention of trainer S. Forster, well his name's actually S. Foster, who indicated that he would now be removing the tongue control bit from the gear of the mare. A post-race veterinary examination revealed the mare to be displaying clinical signs of heat stress. What the stewards report though doesn't tell you is that due to the unfortunate situation Emily Lang found herself in, El Magic bolted in its preliminary for conservatively 1,400 metres. The horse was then taken back to the start and, incredulously, was permitted to start by the race day vets. The situation that unfolded came as no surprise, but watching it was quite sickening. If you backed it, you deserve an apology, and of course you won't get one. But the whole sorry situation raises broader questions. Can a chairman of stewards overrule a vet's decision? Is there a permanent head, uh, head vet at Curic since Martin Lenz's departure? I've counted 21 individual vets on duty at South East Queensland Thoroughbred meetings this month. Maybe those questions, we can add them to the KPMG shopping list in their forthcoming review of Curic. Ben Dorries joins us. Good morning, Ben. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, David. Well, Tony Otterbray, uh, a well-known owner, particularly well-known during our last spring carnival with uh, Pride of Jenny's wonderful performances. But fair to say, he set the cat amongst the pigeons last week and he didn't mind who heard. 
Yeah, absolutely. He sent a text message to uh, racing participants, uh, which I actually got, um, and basically said he has banned his uh, trainers, the trainers that uh, he has for the Jenny horses and the jockeys who ride the Jenny horses, from speaking to industry broadcaster Racing.com, uh, which is uh, obviously you know, part owned by Racing Victoria, uh, while Andrew Jones is the CEO of Racing Victoria. Now, the dispute goes back to, sadly, Dean Holland's tragic death. And, um, you know, Tony quickly began a GoFundMe page soon after the, the tragedy and kicked in $100,000 of his own money. And I think the GoFundMe that he started reached about $2 million. Um, but effectively, uh, Racing Victoria wanted to take control of that and put it into a trust fund. Uh, but Tony was worried that, uh, effectively, if they did that, that and if something went wrong with the donations, like not all of them went to um, Dean Holland's partner and family, uh, it was his name attached to it. So, look, bit of a sad and sorry state of affairs. I, I must say, I, I get on really well with Tony. I can sort of see his point here, but look, I, I don't. I must admit, being part of the media, no matter what media arm it is or organisation, I don't generally like seeing. Uh, industry figures in racing or in other sports sort of you know ban the media I think um, you know especially in racing um, racing needs all the publicity it, it can get and of course the Jenny horses have been a big part of that haven't they in the last few months with Pride of Jenny winning two group ones on the bounce and obviously uh, those horses all named after Tony's um, uh, daughter Jennifer who tragically lost to a brain tumour I think back in 2015 so look I guess it just adds to the pressure a little bit on Andrew Jones uh, having this come out. Uh, he's already under significant pressure for, I suppose, you know, I haven't got time to discuss it now, but on any number of fronts that we've discussed previously on this show. So, yeah, well, one to follow, David. Certainly is. You know, they say in life some things are meant to happen, and this was something that was meant to happen. On Saturday at Eagle Farm, we had a race called the congratulations Barry Bourbon played of course Barry recently retiring from the training ranks but he's been held in such high esteem that the BRC decided to put a race on on Saturday he had a lot of family and friends there as part of a big party but the race that was named in honour of him the congratulations Barry Bourbon plate was won by substantial no surprise was the odds on favourite for Peter and Paul Snowden but Lucky Pippos was one of the part owners and Pippos and Bourbon you couldn't find two closer mates. So, and to see them greet each other after the win of Substantial was was something really to behold. It was one of the highlights of what was a pretty quiet day, to, to be fair. But to see those those two guys together was was something worth seeing. Oh, absolutely! It was an emotional moment. It just goes to show you, even on the quietest racing day, which it was on Saturday, there's always something to pique the the interest, isn't there? And this was one of those occasions. Lucky Pitboss, obviously, in the ownership of. Uh, a lot of um, Barry Baldwin's good horses, including, of course, the Candyman, which raced in those uh, famous colours worn by Gun Sin. So, look, uh, I think Lucky convinced the Snowdens basically to send this horse uh, to Brisbane, knowing that this race, to farewell his great mate Barry Baldwin, <laughs> farewell from training, that is, not from life, of course. I'm sure Barry's got many, many more years in him at the ripe old age, ripe young age of 80. Uh, yeah, so look, really, really terrific stuff and emotional scenes there on Saturday, as you say, David. You're pretty close to Amelia's Jewel Camp. She was in the news last week. Do we know who's going to be the, the Sydney trainer? Well, we don't. I texted uh, Peter Walsh, Amelia's Jewel's owner. Now, he's decided Amelia's Jewel effectively has outgrown Western, Western Australia. Uh, she'll race in the Quokka, 
um, in I forget what month that in is in. I think it might be April, April. is it? Um, yeah. So and she might have a lead up run before that as well in Western Australia. But after that, uh, she's going to spread her wings and be trained in Sydney on the Eastern Seaboard, which which makes sense. I've got to say. I mean, rather than going to and from uh, WA all the time to fair distance, Simon Miller's done a great job with her. But look, uh, Peter Walsh does not know as yet who will train her. I would guess it would be uh, one of Chris uh, Waller, uh, the Kieran Marstable, Joe Pride, or maybe the Snowdens. I would have, you know, I haven't. I suppose I've narrowed it down that much for listeners there, but uh, one of those big four, I would assume, would uh, would train Amelia Jewell. And I gather, look, there's no hard feelings at all from Simon Miller. He knew that uh, this day would probably come. He's done all he can. Uh, with her, obviously would have loved to have continued training her, but yeah, a bit hard to be training a horse uh, from Perth, I guess, that, that is, is going to be set for, for lots of group ones and, and big fish to throw on the Eastern Seaboard this year. Yeah, exactly right. Good to talk, Ben. We'll talk soon. Thanks, David. Ben Dorries joining us there f- from RaceNet. We'll take a break, be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. Many of you might recall that last uh, Sunday week on Pass the Post, Ben Dorries and myself interviewed Matt Dunn. Matt had a great day on Magic Millions Day. He won the syndicate race with Derry Grove. And, of course, he won the cutest uh, cup, the cutest feature race, with a very much informed horse called Boom Talk, T-O-R-Q-U-E. And I may mention in that program about Ian Corazol, the owner of Boom Talk. I've known Ian for a long time, and Matt said he was so excited. He actually cried on Magic Millions Day. Well, I'll check that out because I wanted to have a chat with Ian. He's had a wonderful career in the racing industry. And I'm not just talking about thoroughbreds either. Of course, he's been an active player in harness racing for many years. But he's also got a real life as well, apart from his involvement in racing. He's been kind enough to join join us this morning on Press Room. Ian, good morning. How are you? Good morning, David. Good to talk to you again. Did you shed a tear on Magic Millions Day? Look, I did get very emotional, and I, and I did shed a tear. I wouldn't say I cried, but I certainly <laughs> shed a tear or two. I can tell you. And uh, but uh, you know, we were very confident coming into the race, particularly after the barrier draw, when I thought that with our weight and our barrier draw, we certainly could have an edge over Rothfire, who was obviously the class horse of the field. But uh, mm. yeah, look. Very, very confident, and uh, you know it panned out. Uh, panned out uh, absolutely fantastic. I mean, when I, 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 it's a funny thing. Whenever I watch my horses race, I always go to a secluded spot by myself. Mm. So uh, you know, we'll be down in the jockey's uh, mounting yard, and uh, Matt Dunnell. I'll say, well, Matt, I'm going out to watch the race, and he said, yep, and he goes somewhere else and secluded and watches it, and, and I go somewhere else. And uh, anyway, I came down from from where I was uh, watching and uh, I gave Matt the biggest bear hug and said, Matthew, you did it. You did it. (laughs) Because he's always had confidence in this horse, by the way. Yeah, it it must have been somewhat surreal. I know that atmosphere there on Magic Mm. Millions Day is quite extraordinary. There are so many people in that enclosure. Ah, look, it is. When the horse won and then you're, you're in the enclosure... There must have even been just some moment for a pause for reflection, thinking, this has happened, I've won a million-dollar race in the thoroughbred world. Yeah. And we'll talk about your, your involvement in racing as we go through the interview this morning, but to be there winning that million-dollar race must have just given you time to think, 
it's come to this, I've I've finally cracked this. Yeah, look, um, you know, owning horses is is not a... uh, not a recipe for uh, making money, uh, as you would well know over the years. You know, you put in, you win a few races along the way. As long as you, as you meet, you know, a fair bit of your expenses, you'd, you'd deem yourself happy. But uh, yes, of course, this is totally surreal, um, and you know, arguably one of the highlights of my uh, racing life. Um, along with, you know, there's some very memorable moments with. Uh, in harness racing with Talk in Motion, that lovely mare we had all those years ago. But uh, this is right up there with them. I think I made mention to you yesterday, like winning the race in isolation is a terrific result in itself, but it might only be just the beginning because this horse is lightly raced. I think Matt's only, or Matt's won, what, five races with him, been beaten once and probably should have won that day. So yeah, yeah. This, is, this, is, this is not the end. This, this may well just be, be the beginning. Yes, look, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, discussion around the horse now on, on you know, different media and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remain uh, fairly calm about it all and uh, you know, I had a, had a brief chat with Matt on uh, on uh, Sunday morning yesterday uh, because he, he went away for a, a good, well-deserved break after the millions and uh, he said uh, he's mapped out a little plan for him and uh, that plan is, for the moment, to get a bit more experience because... You're right, the horses, this is only his, uh, well, he, the Millions Day was his second start into his second ever race preparation. Mm. So um, he's made enormous strides, and, and Matt, uh, I must say, has been the catalyst to unlocking the key to this horse because, uh, you know, previously the horse had had, I think, five starts uh, for a couple of very unlucky placings, but uh, he never got to the races until he was halfway through his three-year-old year, which was a, a source of disappointment for me and caused him to uh, change trainers. And then uh, when Casey Fogden decided to retire, then uh, I, uh, I selected Matt. And, and, and selecting Matt, by the way, was with a very good friend of mine, a fellow I went to high school with, and uh, he made his entire career in the racing industry, and that's a fellow called you'd know him well, Roy Beckerman. Mm who ultimately became the CEO of Doombin. And, uh, well, Roy and I speak to each other almost every second day, if not every day. But he uh, he has been one of my greatest supporters in the thoroughbred uh, industry, or racing. And uh, he's uh, he's my consultant on all matters with, with thoroughbreds. And uh, I remember when we bought this horse, he uh, I said, Roy, he's a, he's a swayback. And within a half a day, Roy had come back and said... Ian Tullock and Northern Dancer were, fa- were swaybacks, and they were both champions. And I, wow, wow, Roy, where'd you get that from? <laughs> and he was spot on. He uh, he said, "Don't let it worry you." And uh, the funny thing is that um, while the evidence is there, you know, I've seen videos of him going through the sale ring those few years ago, and uh, and he was definitely a swayback, and that that's why he was relatively cheap at the auction. Well, that's what but I was going no, to he's ask. No, was... He's no longer a swayback. No, that was <laughs> going to be my next question. The other great story out of this this win, apart from winning a million dollar race for yourself, that you don't necessarily have to pay big bucks. How much did you pay for Boom Talk at the sale? Look, the original uh, Magic Million sale on the Gold Coast, uh, he was bought for fifty thousand, and and at that point, I had seventy percent of the horse. 
Um, it's an unfortunate turn of events that uh, after two two odd years of not racing, I, I, I went to the original trainer and said, look, I want to change a few horses, move a few, certainly leave some there. And I was told that uh, the other owners didn't agree to that, so the only way was to auction him. I never knew any better, by the way. I never knew that being a majority owner, I do now and have done for the last six months. But um, he was sent to auction and I had to buy him back uh, at, at quite a, a steep increase in, uh, in cost. But of course, you know, I still had, uh, I didn't have to pay uh, 70% of, of what I bid at, uh, at English auction for him, but someone was running me up that day to a pretty steep level of, uh, of dollars, and uh, but I was uh, one-minded with it, and uh, I said, I'm not going to let this horse go. I mean, he was a maiden at that point, never raced. <laughs> so there, there's something, you know, something there that, uh, that said, keep going, in, keep going, and uh, we ended up with him, and uh, yeah, as I said, he moved to Casey for a few starts, and uh, he probably was was very unlucky there. And uh, but as I, I started to mention earlier, Roy Beckerman was the one who mentioned Matt Dunn. He said uh, Matt Dunn used to train for a fellow called Jim Kennedy, a very uh, prominent uh, racing figure in Queensland. And he said uh, Jim Kennedy always said to him, Matt Dunn can train horses, Roy. And and I followed Roy's information, rang Matt Dunn up, and. And now here we are. I mean, Matt, Matt's had a fantastic strike rate since I gave him a few horses. Yeah, Out of 11 starters, we've had seven winners, two placings who both arguably should have won on the day, and two, two unplaced runs. It's just phenomenal. Of course, Roy Beckerman uh, with a very strong history with the... The Brisbane Amateur Turf Club, of course, Correct. He, was, he was the chief executive of the handicapper there as well. Correct. Look, when, when he left school, he was the assistant handicapper, and he became handicapper, and then graduated right through to CEO. Exactly right. Yeah. Your colours uh, yeah. that the Boom Talks jockey carried on Magic Millions Day: purple with a gold treble clef. Correct. Most of your horses, in fact, probably all of your horses, have the Talk moniker in them, like we, we see the Bashardis, but with you, it's the Talks T O R Q U E. Yeah. I'm gathering. You have some music background which you might like to share with our, our listeners. Yeah, sure. Look, um, I mean, ever since I left school at uh, 16 years of age, I I got a job as a warehouse boy in a uh, musical instrument wholesale company. I stayed there for a total of 12 years. That that, that uh, company was originally bought out by what what is the Yamaha Music Company. Um, and at age 29, I, I left that uh, that company and started my own business which is now whatever that is 44 years old this year and uh, so we import and, and wholesale musical instruments all over Australia we import them from all over the world um, I've got three of my children and two of my grandchildren working in the business here and uh, you know we've had nice success and uh, now's the time time to enjoy the success uh, over all those years with uh, splurging out on some racehorses, David. Now, am I right in saying that Roy Beckerman used to play in a band? Yes, yes. And that's another connection we have because <laughs> Roy was, uh, while he was going to high school, Roy was a professional drummer in a, in, a, in a band, albeit that he was only 15 or 16 years of age, but uh, that, that was back then. And uh, he continues to play drums, which he's, uh, you know, he's a professional drummer. And 
I suppose we before I got into into thoroughbreds, so we sort of reconnected with uh, with the music thing because Roy uh, would often send me a message say, "Oh, I see this brand, uh, you know, this player is is playing your brand of drums," and uh, and we connected up again and we we sort of stayed in touch. And then, you know, as I said, I got into uh, a few thoroughbreds and started communicating with Roy and asking his advice about things and. Uh, as I say, we we keep in touch every day, and uh, you know, whenever I'm involved in a new horse, I send Roy the information. He looks into the pedigree; he's a master at looking at at breeding, and he looks at the, the pictures of the horse and and gives me some beautiful feedback about about different things. It's good to have a good man by your side. Yes, no, he, you, he is. Yes. You, you were probably better known though in the racing industry initially in the harness racing world where yep. you've raced a lot of horses, bred a lot of horses. How did your involvement start actually getting into racing and ownership via harness racing? Well, look, firstly, the the interest in horses goes back to my father. He leased a few horses when I was still going to high school and um, one of them uh, achieved reasonable heights, uh, went through its grades. Fe- a fellow called Dave Carey outside of Toowoomba trained this horse called High Esteem. And uh, High Esteem went through his grades. And I mean, I remember the whole family went to Eagle Farm one day. I think it was called the Barnes Plate in those days, a wait for age race. And uh, Winfrey was in the race. And I think High Esteem was still eligible for an encourage. And uh, anyway, High Esteem was out there bowling three, four, five lengths in front of the field and uh, coming into the straight, he still held a two or three length lead over Winfrey. And of course, Winfrey was a champion. Came down the outside, raced past him, probably won by three or four lengths. But our fellow ran second. And, uh, you know, that probably tweaked my um, my interest in, in horse racing back, back then. But with Harness, um, I also went to high school with Gary Keep, who you know well. Mm. And uh, when we left high school, Gary uh, started training a couple of trotters. And Gary didn't have a car license. So he would ring me up on a Friday night or Friday and say, listen, uh, Ian, can you can you drive the float down to Tweed Heads for me tonight? And uh, yeah, so we did that. And uh, we'd go to Ipswich where they had trot races on Saturdays. And, and I, I actually got on a the horse a couple of times at Gary's training place and uh, I suppose that, that you know certainly harboured an interest uh, but my actual involvement came when uh, we used to buy a lot of cars from Torque, T-O-R-Q-U-E Ford at Redcliffe and I became good friends with the sales manager there of the uh, fleet division and one day he rang me up and said look I've just, just got into two pacing horses and, and I said why didn't you tell me? I, I could have been interested. Well, he rang me back the next day and said, look, the other blokes are happy to be to come in. And uh, so I went into those horses. One was Tricky Purple and the other one was Southside Sam. Um, three or four months after that, this fellow, Chris Murray, said, oh, I'm, I'm getting out of the horse. I just thought they made money, you know. And I said, well, it's not like that, Chris. He pulled out. I stayed in. Uh, at the end of the day, I... I kept Tricky Purple after her racing and bred from her and she, she threw a couple of reasonably nice foals and uh, and uh, that's where my association with um, with the Purple and Gold began because as you know Rick, Vic Rasmussen had Purple and Gold uh, silks and uh, later on Vicky Rasmussen who also trained for me and when came time to um, 
design my own silks, which someone mentioned to me that I should get them, and uh, I sort of thought about it. And so I said, well, purple and gold have always been good to me, um, and now I've got to just have a little twist. And uh, because I'm in the music industry, I thought of the treble clef as being... Uh, it's the beginning of every written piece of music and uh, came up with the purple and uh, the gold treble clef. With Harness Racing, what a, a wonderful experience to win with a horse called Talk in Motion. I think about 12 years ago, she won a ladyship mile at Menangala Group 1 race. She was an outstanding mare. Yeah. One of her foals, of course, was Talk Like Motion, who won the Queensland Oaks for you yep. last year. So yep. you've had a pretty good last 12 months. Look, um, this this is this last well, particularly the last six months has uh, six and seven months has been absolutely the pinnacle. I keep some sort of basic records, and uh, from the first of August to now, I think it's pretty equal. I think I've won about twenty-one harness races and about twenty-one thoroughbred races. Um, in harness, I've had about forty or more placings, and in thoroughbred so I think it's about 20 or 25 placings so it's been an exceptional year uh, thus far from, from August 1 and uh, I'm just uh, hoping that uh, our luck continues and uh, you know I'm spread across a few uh, with a few people I have some great fun up north with Johnny Manselman mm. you know John bought a uh, horse online there last year called the Driller and uh he and I share the ownership of it, and uh, it won a Cairns Cup last year, amongst other races. Raced down here for a while under Lockie Manzerman and did quite well. Always a little bit unlucky, a little one better on the day. But uh, I have some horses with Stewie Kendrick. I'm in some of those Archer Park horses that you are a bit of an ambassador for. Um, I think I've been about three with Archer Park. And of course, uh, more recently with Ma with Matthew Dunn down at Mwilumbar and uh, you know, as I said before, Matt, Matt Dunn's strike rate for me is just amazing. Um, and, you know, it doesn't look like, you know, stopping anytime soon because we've got a couple of good runners coming up this week and, and with, with uh, Boom Talk in another couple of weeks' time as well. It's been great to talk to you. As I said, I've known you a long time and, and yeah. the results you're getting now are richly deserved. And thanks for... Uh, telling us your story this morning, not only from your working point of view, but of course from the racing point of view as well. And we don't see, to be honest, we don't see many dual-goaded people because most people either uh, put their, their their eggs in the one basket, thoroughbred world or harness world or greyhound world. So to to be dabbling in the harness and the thoroughbreds is is not common. It's it's fairly unique, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I mean, uh, I'm I'm happy doing both. I still breed about between four and six or eight paces every year and uh, haven't delved into the thoroughbred breeding and probably won't. No, I'd but, suggest um, <laughs> But uh, no, look, it's, it's, it's fun. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Of course you enjoy success, but uh, I'm just enjoying, you know, I'm, I'm in partnership with most of the horses I, I race. So I enjoy the company of uh, the other co-owners when I go to the racetrack and watch them run. And... Uh, you know, good people in harness racing too. I mean, Shane Graham and Wayne Graham, I've been associated with the Grahams for a long time now and they've been highly successful with some very nice uh, places of mine and a number of those have been the progeny of Talk in Motion, which mm. is even more satisfying.
Great to talk again. Thanks for being with us. Good on you, David. Thank you. Ian Corazol, the owner of Boom Talk, who won the, the big, uh, cutest race on Magic Minions Day, but a great story to tell there. Well, this morning is uh, something of a bittersweet experience for me because Ray Thomas is back with us. Ray's had a couple of tough months, but Ray, as I welcome you this morning uh, and welcome back to Press Room, but the bitter side is that this will be your last appearance on, on Press Room this morning. Yeah, good morning, David, and good morning, everyone. Yeah, I was trying to think how long we've been um, doing this little gig, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it'd be at least 10 years, wouldn't it, David, I think? Not quite. I'll, I'll, in fact, I can tell you, um, Press Room started, I used to say Press Room started in September of 2015. I did a bit of research yesterday in preparation for our chat. We actually started on the 31st of August, 2015, Wow, and the reason I now know the date was we were all ready to go. The, the show was set up. We had the, the panellists, uh, yourself being one of them. Uh, everything was primed. And on the Sunday, Bart Cummings mm. died. And the whole show was then th- thrown into disarray for its debut That's on the right. Monday. But you were there on Monday, August the 31st, 2015. I think I could count on one hand the times you haven't been with us. But as I said at the outset, it has been a couple of tough months for you. Yeah, it has, and um, today's my first day back in the office. I think it's about uh, 11 weeks, um, David, and unfortunately it wasn't a holiday. It was a health issue which I've had to tackle and um, just sort of makes you reevaluate things, and reluctantly I've sort of had to look at um, areas of my, uh, that I should cut back on, and, and um, I really enjoy our discussions you're a brilliant interviewer and you and you you, you do challenge the people you, you're interviewing which i really enjoy but um i do need to cut back on a lot of the things that i do and uh just um i just try and have an easier work week so to speak david so with reluctance um uh, i have to sort of say goodbye to you in, in that respect from a weekly basis if you know if there are times when um, Mitch is on holidays, and I know Mitch Cohen's done a great job, and and um, he, he'll certainly do a super job going forward. But when he's on holidays, or if there's a major event, always happy to talk to you, David. Be careful. I, I might I might hold you to that, but I, I thought <laughs> I thought one way to uh, look back at, at your time with Press Room would be to go back to the Saturday the races were on at Rose Hill before Press Room started on that Monday, the 31st of August. The reason I want to do this is to show the transformation in Sydney racing over the almost nine years you've been with us. The transformation is quite fascinating, but to put some some meat on the bone, some facts on the table, that day the races were at Rose Hill. There were eight races, a very respectable Mm -hmm. start of 12.40, 20 to 1, but eight races. The feature was the run to the Rose, was run by Exosphere for, for Godolphin. Uh, the race was the, the biggest race of the day. The prize money was $175,000. The bread and butter races were worth $85,000. In that time, there was no Everest. There was no Golden Eagle. There was no Kosciuszko. There was no Big Dance. And here we are some nine years down the track, and racing in Sydney is totally different mm-hmm. in a number of ways to what it was back when press rooms started, and it's all been on the way up. Yeah, certainly has that. The prize money, as you mentioned, just continues to go through the roof. And 
and like whilst I was, I've been away, obviously the news about Rose Hill potentially being sold off for housing and residential property, um, if that does go ahead, and there's still a lot of water to flow under the bridge, so to speak, David, but um, that would provide another considerable stimulus in terms of um, uh, liquid assets that the club and the racing industry would have to pour back into prize money and infrastructure, et cetera, down the track. So, And as you mentioned, there's just the changing face of racing, like two years after um, that initial press room, of course, the Everest was introduced in 2017 that there was a lot of derision about it and it wouldn't last and thought races that will be here today gone tomorrow will we here this morning there's a new slot race being introduced in New Zealand of course you've got uh, one in Rockhampton which has been successful the Quokka in Perth um, the other codes have picked up on the Everest concept and those other new races like as you mentioned the Golden Eagle which goes from strength to strength um, would have loved to have had a crystal ball back in 2015 because it, it has just been extraordinary and the pace continues doesn't it David with the prize money injections almost on a six-monthly basis in Sydney racing, prize money has increased and never been a better time to invest in the industry if you're an owner. And, of course, there are areas that can be improved and and by no means is New South Wales racing a void of criticism, but certainly the industry now is in a tremendous place compared to even a decade ago. Exactly right. One thing that wasn't different then was that Chris Waller was going to win the Premiership uh, of that season, 15-16, and James McDonald was going to win the Jockeys Premiership. Just speaking of McDonald, he's done this, the double-headed thing. He won three on Saturday at Rose Hill. I think he won two at Chartin yesterday. He sits about fourth on the Sydney Premiership ladder at the moment, 35 wins. Nash up there on 44. Can he win the Premiership this season? Uh, certainly he can, but I guess it... It depends on on James himself, and he's certainly a man in demand, isn't he, David? And um, Hong Kong will come calling again. I think England will come calling through the Northern Hemisphere summer. And if he puts his mind to what he's only nine wins behind Nash, and he has missed a lot of Sydney racing in the last of oh, this season. We're not quite at the halfway mark, and. He spent a number of weeks in Hong Kong. He spent the majority of the spring carnival in Melbourne. So he has missed a fair chunk of the season so far. So if he wants to concentrate on winning the Sydney Premiership, I'm sure he can and he would. But it, it depends. I, I know he'll ride a lot in Brisbane. Um, as I said, Northern Hemisphere summer, he loves to ride at Royal Ascot and spend some time in England during that period of, of the Australian winter. So uh, he's within touching distance of Nash. Um to be fair to Nash Will, he's got a fantastic strike rate at the moment, the best strike rate of any jockey in Sydney, and he is riding as well as ever. Uh, Jason Collett and Tyler Schiller are having great seasons, but James McDonald, if he wants to focus on the premiership, uh, I'm, I'm almost certain he would win it again. I often say, or often, often said, our conversations were of similar vintage, and as youngsters, we can remember Tommy Smith dominating two-year-old racing along the eastern seaboard. Uh, his daughter Gay, in partnership with Adrian Bott, uh, they've they've done it, but they haven't done it to a level that they're doing this season. We saw fully lit another two-year-old winner for the stable on Saturday. He'll go to that that uh, um, English Millennium race, but and it's been well talked about. Storm Boy and Straight Charged and Espionage and Node, even Two Dart Lizzie won the debut race up here. All of these good two-year-olds 
It's going to be some sort of juggling act over the next uh, few weeks as we head towards the, the Golden Slipper and then, of course, the, the size and the champagne. Yeah, great position for the stable to be in, isn't it, David? And I think the common denominator with almost all of their winners is how they're prepared and how they race. It's it's so typical of Tullock Lodge. They're, they produce their youngsters. They're very professional. They invariably race on speed or lead. They they don't show any greenness. They don't run about in the straight under pressure. They invariably run true to the line. And they're tough and they're strong and they're well-educated. And um, they have got a, an exceptional bunch, it seems, so far this season. And we had a couple of trials this morning where they produce a couple of their big guns as well. So um, Espionage has become almost a forgotten horse. He won way back on day one of the two-year-old season in the Breeders' Plate, leading home a Gay Waterhouse Adrian Bot trifecta. He's finished unplaced in his trial this morning, but didn't have much luck. Prost, who ran third in the Breeders' Plate, was an impressive winner running down Shangri-La Express, who we thought was the number one seed until Storm Boy's emergence um, at the Magic Millions. And uh, just news here, I'm sure you would have caught up, David, but just in case your listeners haven't... Um, Storm Boy now will follow the Dance Hero program. Dance Hero is the only magic means winner to train on and win the, the two-year-old Triple Crown in Sydney. He had one lead-up run after the Gold Coast in the Skyline and Gaywood House and Adrian Bott most likely to follow the exact same path with Storm Boy into the Golden Slipper on March 23. But they're in a fantastic position and trying to split all these good two-year-olds up and, and qualify as many as they can for the big one uh, at the Golden Slipper. Yeah, quite extraordinary. Just speaking of those trials at Royal Ramming this morning, we, we were talking about Nash earlier. He rode private eye. Uh, I think Joe Pride said he wanted to have a quiet trial. Well, it seems that that, mm. that was certainly the case. Yeah, he just went, went round for fun. And really, he's been kept very, very fresh. He'll go first up in the lightning and... He's been kept to sprints now and, of course, he was placed again the Everest uh, back in the spring and uh, he'll be a force to be reckoned with come TJ Smith Stakes Day, I'm sure. He does race very well up straight at Flemington, but a 1,000 metres, it, it might, they might just be a touch sharp for him, but he'll be flashing home late and then back to Sydney, of course. The Everest winner, think about it, he's going to be tried. It's been well documented. Um, a, a bit further this preparation the Doncaster mile is the main aim for him but the Quinn's mistakes potentially as well at 2,000 metres so uh, both the outstanding horses private eye back today um, you mentioned a couple of two year olds I, I mentioned Prost earlier um, he won that trial beating Shangri-La Express Michael Friedman's got a very good team Manal the gym crack winner ran in that trial and she was kept under a really tight hold by Tommy Berry, and I think she's a filly to follow going forward. Um, but the Autumn Carnival just around the corner now, isn't it, David? All the good horses starting to come back to the trials. Speaking of good horses, there was a bit hanging over Bjorn Baker's head on Saturday. Um, uh, Derby Syndications purchased Cabalas online off Chris mm. I think, for just over $300,000. Now, he trialled well on two occasions. He was freely tipped as being the good thing of the day. Ultimately, he won and, and won well. So, uh, Bjorn would have been delighted that uh, the, the purchase, they struck pay dirt straight away. Yeah. yeah, he admitted there was a bit of pressure going into that race because he, this colt did go or join his stable with a bit of a profile. Of course, in the spring, he was one of the favourites in the up-and-coming states and was showing considerable promise. And uh, Coolmore decided to sell Cabalas after his spring campaign. As you mentioned, Derby 
racing through Scott Derby, very astute buyer of, of uh, racehorses, has purchased Cabalas. And Bjorn Bank's got a really nice colt here. It is off-season. Of course, he'll, he'll need to continue to take, make that progression going forward. But he showed in his initial campaign that he's not far away, is he, David? So if he can take that next step in the autumn, and the indication there on Saturday was that he certainly has. He's a big, strong colt. He's got ter- uh, terrific bursts of acceleration, and he needed a run on Saturday. I know he had two good trials going into it, but he looked above himself in condition. So um, uh, Bjorn's got a bit of room to move with Cabalas, and he's got a promising colt going forward. Derby Racing are in a great position this season, of course. They've got overpass and osmosis both last start group one winners in the spring they'll be getting ready for big autumn campaigns and Kambalas can join that team now as well Ray thanks for your your contribution over um, almost nine years Uh, we mentioned what things were like in Sydney when press room commenced back in August of 2015 of course there was so much we could talk about time has beaten us we lived through the era of Winks when she was in her winning sequence uh, they were they were great times to talk about of course you join us from Royal Ascot when Nature Strip was over there your professionalism has been second to none and we expect nothing less from you it has been a privilege for, for me to have you as an inaugural panellist and a regular panellist on Press Room I hope the health continues to improve and get better and uh, well to end you're always welcome on this program at any time thanks for being with us David, I just say it's been absolute pleasure. And as I said earlier, it's with reluctance that I sort of hang my hat. But with young Mitch Cohen coming through, which is the changing face of, of Sydney racing, well, it's the same in the press room. And, and Mitch is certainly going to be a tremendous asset to your program going forward. And, and thanks so much for, for having me over such a long period of time. It's, it's been my, my honour to talk to you each Monday morning, David. Good on you, Ray. Thanks for that. Thanks, David. Ray Thomas joining us this morning here for the last time, well, maybe not the last time, but the last time officially on Press Room. Let's have a chat with Ben Scatterdale in Adelaide. He's been waiting patiently on the line. Ben, good morning. How are you? Morning. Yes, morning, Dave. Very well, and I certainly echo those sentiments about Ray, one of the one of the truly great men of Australian racing, Ray Thomas. And, of course, you worked with him for many years. I did, yeah, and whenever I happened to be in Sydney or needed some information about Sydney horses, Ray always... Um, gave gave me as much time as possible. I, you know, I was a young young guy coming through. Um, you know, Ray Ray was a huge help. Like I said, he um, you know, despite his profile, he was he was never too busy to help. And yeah, um, certainly one of the the truly nice guys um, that I, I I ever worked with. Just a, a great great man. We were talking about the the powerful battery of of juveniles that Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bod have. It's quite extraordinary uh, this season. Let's talk about some two-year-olds in your neck of the woods. Now, we saw Kira Yanagi debut in the first at Gawla on Saturday. Winning, yeah. I suppose, is expected, the written tycoon filly. Now, do they have ambitious plans for her? Uh, look, look, they do. Um, look, I thought she was, she was good on Saturday. Look, you know, it's only a four-horse field, obviously. She was expected to win. She jumped the dollar thirty-five and... I guess she kind of won like you'd expect a dollar thirty-five chance to to win. Um, she won by almost three lengths. Looked to have plenty up her sleeve. Still got home in thirty-three, ninety-three, which was solid enough. Um, just how much extra there is, I, I guess we'll find out in time. But 
Look, Will Clarkin certainly got the blue diamond on the board still. Hasn't, absolutely hasn't made a commitment to pressing on to that. He's going to see how she she gets over that first up run at Gawler over the next few days and, and make a decision there. We've got some got some warm weather here in Adelaide. Um, tomorrow in particular, it's due to be 40 degrees. So whether those kind of things are a factor in terms of how she, she recovers from that first up start. But, um, yeah, I think... It's, it's on the table, um, but yeah, it was a long way from saying he absolutely will uh, commit to pressing on to the Blue Diamond. She she may just go to the paddock after that first up run. I think she's a look. She's about an eleven dollar chance, isn't she? In pre post betting, something like that. Um, I wouldn't be back her eleven bucks based on what I've heard from heard from Will after that race on Saturday. Um, but you know, if she does does get there, I think she's got a lot of upside still. She's still leaning what it's all about. Um, she's a three hundred ninety thousand dollar yearling buy, which, in South Australian terms, um, you know, is plenty of money. Um, but she certainly looks like she's worth that investment. Yes, exactly right. Another good two-year-old too. Some uh, one that we've probably half forgotten about because it's been a while since we saw her race. Caravas, of course, she went on debut at Murray Bridge, then won the Ottawa on Oaks Day in Flemington. Uh, will yep. we see Caravas soon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so she's... Yeah, you're right, we've, it's been a couple of months since we've seen her and, you know, a lot of these other two-year-olds come out and you start talking about them and Caravas, she can't do any more than she has so far. She, um, yeah, she's a really good first-up winner and I thought the Ottawa Stakes winner. If you look back at that, that race, it's going to stack up pretty well, I think. Um, Arabian Summer was in that race. Um, yeah, she's got a very nice, um, nice form line there and she's due to jump out at Morphville tomorrow. Um, thankfully, it's early. You know, jump outs are early in the day, so the heat shouldn't be as much of a factor. So she'll have that jump out. She'll then, um, if all goes according to plan, she'll she'll have her next start in the uh, Blue Diamond Prix on February 10 um, for the fillies there. So she's um, yeah, she's absolutely on track, and that, that's clearly their target. This preparation for her to be spot on for the uh, for the Blue Diamond Rich and Chantilly Jolly. Um, I think she's really, you know, she's a very good filly, I think, Caravas, and um, those familiar Neb Morgan colours that we know, and you know, won a lot of good races with them. And I think this filly's got the capacity to perhaps win, win at a level they haven't seen before. Good to see Rockstar Megsy putting it all together now. Uh, horse has always had the ability. The strike rate wasn't too good, but now starting to really find the winning touch. Yeah, she is. John O'Connor's done a done a super job with her, and he's he's a very good good trainer, John. Um, you know, he's, he's an intelligent man, and he, um, you know, he's a jockey, and he's been training for a fair period of time now. And he's got a good eye for yearlings as well. I think she was a thirty-something thousand-dollar yearling rock star, Mexi. And he said she's grown up a lot. Um, she's now much more mature. She was, um, she was kind of a, a little bit scatty, I think it's fair to say. Um, but she's now able to race with the blinkers off, and she focuses. And yeah, she's a really, really good winner again. I thought at Gawler on Saturday, she's made a back-to-back wins. Now she's come back in super shape this prep, and. Um, makes a lot of sense if she heads towards that magic million three and four year old classic Murray Bridge that's on March 9 I think it's 120,000 that looks like a, a really nice target for her so um, you'd expect that she'll kind of tick along maybe have another another start or two maybe just one because she does race, seem to race quite well fresh I think she was around about a month between runs on Saturday so we might see her once more then press on to that uh, magic million three and four year old classic at Murray Bridge one last kiss was successful in the long-distance race at Flemington. Now, there is a South Australian connection there. Yeah, very strong South Australian connection. So those very familiar David, that David Peacock ownership group, a lot of those discreet horses that people will be familiar with. 
Um, this this mare, one last kiss, has raced in um, in similar ownership. Um, Dan O'Sullivan, who's trained some horses for David Peacock, um, Berkeley Square, I guess, is one of the best-known ones more recently. Um, but they think that she's a, a really good quality, progressive staying mare, um, and they think the further further she goes, the better she's going to get. So um, Dan O'Sullivan said after the win on on Saturday at Flemington that um, every jockey has got off her said she'll be she'll be um, capable beyond 2,500 metres. So Broadream Stakes um, would be the obvious. Um, kick-off race leading into the Adelaide Cup so she might go down that path Lord Reams into the Adelaide Cup but that's um, that's certainly on the agenda for her if she kind of progresses as they hope over the next few months. In the wash-up, what was the final um, divvy-up of South Australian trainers with the Magic Minion sales? Yeah, so um, later on in the sale I guess as as prices got a little cheaper, uh, Michael Hick, Hick might end up with, with five out of the sale so he was our most prolific um, South Australian buyer with those five um, fair fair range in price. I think the cheapest one was around about twenty thousand, or even a little less than that, and, and up to around into the hundreds for uh, for the most expensive. So he ended up with five lots. Um, I'm sure he won't have any prob- problem finding um, finding buyers for those. He's a he's a he's a smart man, Michael, and he's um, yeah he does a, does a really good job at getting owners together to race these horses. So I'm sure he'll be able to get them sold out pretty quickly. Uh, Rich and Chonchel Dolly, who we talk, talked about a little bit earlier with Carabas, they ended up with three. And the uh, Andrew Gluis, they're still officially under the McDonald Gluis banner, uh, they ended up with a couple. So it was nice to see a few horses coming back. And generally, with um, you know, you don't want to put the mocks on them, but um, generally our South Australian trainers and buyers have a, have a really good record when they buy yearlings at sales like the Magic Millions. So a lot of them make it um, and a lot of them win nice races as well. So, yeah, I think out of that, that group that uh, are heading back to South Australia, there'll be at least a couple of nice horses there. Colin McNiff's about to join us. Just before you go, though, on the harness racing front, Wayne Hill deserves a more than honourable mention. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic effort by Wayne. Look, I've known Wayne literally since he was about three or four years old and um, fair to say he's grown up a lot. Um, he's been driving for a little bit over 20 years and, and at Port Perry on Tuesday night he notched his 2,000th winner. So, um, like I said, I think he's been driving, I think it's 23 years. Um, I think he's, his first winner was around about 2000, 1999, something like that. And he's now now sitting on 2,000 winners for... Uh, uh, for his career, so he's averaging you know just under 100 a season, and in the past maybe five five years or so, he's really put his head down, works really hard, tra- happy to travel, goes to Mildura a lot. Um, you know, I think he ended up with more than 200 winners last season. So he's um, yeah, he's he's absolutely among um, the best drivers in Australia. I think. I mean, he has won a driving championship as well. He's super talented, judges horses really well. As I said, works hard does his form and yeah, it's, it's a real credit to him to reach reach that 2000 winner mark and he's still a young man and he'll um, his plans are to certainly continue driving for as long as he can so he's going to up with a very very significant tally by the end of his career Wayne Good on you Ben we'll talk later on Thanks David Ben Scadden joining us from Adelaide news coming through from New Zealand this morning that Next year, 2025, Ellerslie will host a $9 million Champions Race Day. Now, the highlight of that or the innovation in that will be a slot race, $3.5 million, called the Kiwi, 1,500 metres for three-year-olds, bred in New Zealand or sold at any New Zealand sale. So 
that will be the, the, the new race. But, of course, meeting being champions, they will also have the the Derby, the Bone Crush, the Breeders, the Sistema there at Group 1, the Auckland Cup, the King's Plate, the Sunrise Vase. So a big day, Champions Race Day, Ellerslie next year, $9 million. That'll rise to $10 million by 2027. Steve Hewlett will have more on that tomorrow on Racing HQ. But that announcement made this morning, Champions Race Day at Ellerslie with a new slot race, the Kiwi, $3.5 million in prize money. Colin McNiff joins us now. Colin, good morning. Hello, David. Big day at Hobart yesterday. You had a lot of feature racing. We did. We had 10 races and five of them were uh, feature races. I think we may have seen the Hobart Cup favourite with the Victorian Alambra Lad mm. who uh, won the Summer Cup uh, in brilliant style. It was a 2100 metre race uh, scored by more than three lengths um, written by Jaya McNeil who took a feature race double home. So I think this six-year-old, uh, if connections do decide to stay on, he's trained by Paddy Payne. So Paddy has a really good relationship with Adam Trinder. So he may well stay on and, and at least have a crack at the Hobart Cup, if not the the Cup's double. The other uh, winner for Jai McNeil was the Victorian filly Wings of Song, who again is from Paddy Payne, but has been with um, with Adam Trinder for its past couple of starts. It's had two runs down here, won the 1,000 guineas in emphatic style again yesterday, and she will be staying on for the strut stakes worth $125,000 on February 9, and then the $150,000 Tasmanian Oaks on February 25. Uh, she was a, a very impressive winner in the 1,000 guineas there in Hobart yesterday. You had a really good finish at Launceston last week. Yeah, Love and Bev and, uh, and Charlie Bucket, uh, two highly promising horses. Uh, Charlie Bucket uh, went into the race with uh, four wins alongside his name and uh, Love and Bev had uh, three in a row. And uh, it turned out, uh, it, sometimes races just uh, turn out how you expect they will with Love and Bev. She likes to roll and lead. And Charlie Bucket didn't let it get too far in front. But on the home turn, uh, Anthony Darmanin, the rider of Charlie Bucket, thought he was uh, going to struggle to get to Love and Bev, but he did right in the last bound. So... Two highly promising horses. Glenn Stevenson says Charlie Bucket will now have a, a little bit of a break. Uh, he, he thinks the horse will be better in 12 months' time. Love and Bev from the Siggy Car Camp. I think Siggy will find a, another race for, for Love and Bev in the not-too-distant future. It was her first try at the 1600. She was very good. Mm, and arguably the biggest story out of Tassie last week centred around the Greyhound world. It did with Anthony Bullock, who's been the stage leading trainer for, uh, for just about ever in recent times. Uh, of course, was given a life ban when uh, a live uh, Paddy Mellon uh, tail was found on a lure apparatus on his property. Um, he appealed that ban and that uh, appeal has been upheld. Uh, they argued that the Paddy Mellon tail had been planted and uh, the appeals board uh, well, couldn't find evidence to suggest that it hadn't. So on the strength of that, uh, arguing that it was a plant, um, he's uh, had his... Uh, his life ban overturned and is free to resume training immediately. And I would imagine within the next month or so, he'll have uh, some greyhound races, uh, some greyhounds running around uh, racing here in Tasmania. He has dominated the scene uh, for a long time and normally has about 25 or 30% of starters at each and every Tasmanian meeting. Have numbers been down lately? Look, they were initially when uh, when Anthony first uh, had the, the ban um, up uh, had the, the ban installed. Uh, there was a few race meetings where we had uh, just um, eight races rather than ten. Mm. But since then, the, the numbers have grown. And, and to be perfectly honest, no, in the last uh, couple of months, uh, we've had full fields uh, basically for, for, for ten races at each of the three meetings week in, week out. 
Fair enough. That was uh, certainly a, a big decision announced last week. Colin, thanks for your time this morning. Cheers, David. Thank you. Colin Bennett joining us, of course, the Tassie Carnival currently in full swing. Australia Day this Friday, we're racing at Eagle Farm. Also, there's a big day at Kilcoy too, one of their biggest days of the year. But I was sad to learn last week of the passing of Miriam Gittens. Now, you mentioned the name Miriam Gittens. It goes hand-in-hand with racing at Kilcoy. She had almost 50 years hands-on involvement with the Kilcoy Club. Of course, she was the secretary. I can remember Miriam Gittens being there when I called a race back in 1976 as a kid. But she was also the treasurer and then in later years on the committee. So to the, the, the Gittens family and all of her friends, we pass in our sympathy. She passed away last Tuesday. Kevin Carney, a very popular trainer here in southeast Queensland, uh, passed away last week in his mid-70s. So we extend our sympathies there. And just before I go, we raced at Ipswich yesterday. Don't forget they're racing this Saturday, coinciding, of course, with the big day of the Sunshine Coast. And it's called the, the Recovery Race Day. All the money raised will be uh, going to Emily Pomfret to assist her in her recovery after that recent uh, shocking incident in the enclosure at Gannon. So Ipswich have been having a very busy schedule over the last few weeks with Saturday racing. They'll race this Saturday. And then they race the following Saturday as well. But a good fundraising exercise for Emily this Saturday at Ipswich. That's Press Room for Monday the 22nd of January and that's it for me for a while. I'm going to take some time off and I'll be back with you in three weeks' time. Have a good day. Bye-bye.